coming to get you, Barbara. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Welcome back to Long Walk Talks. My name is David Hensley. I'm the owner and creative director of Long Walk Productions, and I am doing this intro because Chris didn't want to do it even though it's his turn. So as always, I am joined this evening by my two co-hosts, Stan Wilson-Lee and Chris Wilson-Barnes. It's weird. I didn't think you'd get tired of hearing your own voice. You know, you would think that. Uh, We are going to be continuing our Perfect Tens discussion. This time, it is up to Chris to pick the next four films that we do after coming off hot from the uh, films that Stan picked, which were very divisive among among us and our listeners as well. Really? Yes, there were a lot of hard thoughts. Um, Chris, what is the first film in your Perfect Tens lineup well since it's up to me to save this podcast i decided i would have some have some fun with it and we're going to do mystery science theater 3000 the movie okay well i'm going to turn this over to you since you came up with the topics so uh why don't you start us off with our very first one all right well i'll I'll start with a general question how familiar are you guys with the show Uh, i am familiar with it through you Mm -hmm. i've only ever watched the show when hanging out with you stan uh i may have seen one or two episodes of the show. Super enthusiastic about it. <laughs> Do you remember which ones you saw? I have no clue. I was probably stoned out of my mind. Because that would be probably the reason why I would watch it. That makes sense. Yeah, all right. So, I'm going to start with a, with a basic rundown of the history of the show. Just to give you guys an idea. Because this has been, the, this has been a long-standing cult classic. Mm-hmm. Um, When I say decades, I mean decades, because it started back in, I want to say, the late 80s with Joel Hodgson, the creator. Uh, He came up with the idea for the show and started and got the okay for it back when he was working for uh, a a local studio in, I can't remember, it's in the Midwest, like, I want to say Michigan or around that area, um, called KTMA. And he started doing the show, um, basically got the groundwork for it, worked out. Uh, and it caught on because uh, people from the area uh, were were getting into it, and they started, you know, sending tapes of it around to people, the like relatives and friends around the country, and they started getting into it as well. Uh, and it really caught on when uh, Comedy Central was starting up. They were called the Comedy Channel back then, and uh, they were uh, they were looking for content, and I think they got their hand on some of the KTMA tapes, so they. Uh, they called up Joel Hodgson and offered to buy the show and, and put it on Comedy Central, which was where it got its big platform at the time. But still not huge because that was cable network and it still wasn't widespread yet. So the tape trading really helped it take off and become a big cult classic. And they spent, uh, out after KTMA, they spent the first six, seven seasons of the show on Comedy Central. And that was the time period when uh, the movie happened, the first... Six. Uh, the f- Joel was there f- for the first five seasons. Um, well, m- four seasons and like half of the fifth season because in that's the good. middle, he decided he, he was he was he decided to bow out, and that's when the change happened from Joel uh, Joel Hodgson to Mike Nelson, uh, and then Mike Nelson jumped in. By the end, uh, and by then by the end of the sixth season, 
uh, that's when they were, they got they were given the I forget who I forget how it happened but they got the call that they were willing to do a full length movie for them. Um, I I, I uh, can I can say I was going to ask you about mm-hmm. Joel Hodgson because. Yeah. The episodes I did see would be with Joel, so um, yeah, that's yeah. how early it was when I saw it. So, because um, uh, I wondered about that in the movie, watching the movies, like, where's Joel Hudson? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try and stir things up because uh, like I jumped in or I started. I saw glimpses of it um, when I when I was younger, uh, well before I was able to see it, watch it regularly, and. Um, I was, uh, and so I saw some Joel episodes and I saw some, some of the Mike episodes and I was always more enthused by the Mike episodes and I'm going to leave it there because one of the biggest raging debates in the fandom of Mystery Science Theater is who was better, Joel or Mike. It caused legit flame wars. <laughs> well, yeah, the idea of a fandom starting a flame war over something like that is completely unheard of. Oh yeah, never, never really happens. It was a weird, weird one-time thing mm-hmm. that certainly didn't happen later. That I'll get to. Uh, the internet is usually a very calm and reasonable place <laughs> to be. So uh, they, so they got through the end of uh, seven seasons on Comedy Central, and they they didn't get renewed there. Um, but as the Sci-Fi Channel was expanding into into other markets, they picked up uh, Mystery Science Theater, and it ran for its uh, final three seasons, eight through ten, on there. And then that was the end, or most people thought for a while, and then other projects started happening. Um, In the meantime, Joel Hodgson was was working on other things. Um, They did live shows uh, from time to time. and, and then and then as time moved on, there were other projects that started up, like Joel Hodgson's Cinematic Titanic, uh, Riff Tracks, which is still going strong today. Um, it continued on and on until Shout Factory got the license uh, for the for the the, the show, uh, and they're and they're putting out the DVDs and getting they they probably got the most episodes that will ever be out on DVD because of how hard they work for rights holders and stuff. And then during that time, interest interest spiked again. Uh, to the point where in 2015, uh, after with help from Shout Factory, Joel Hodgson got the full rights back to the, the series and immediately launched uh, a Kickstarter for more Mystery Science Theater, which blew out its funding goal in like a day. Uh, so they were able to bring back Mystery Science Theater for another two more seasons on Netflix. Uh, this time, uh, the host was Jonah Ray, excuse me, Jonah Heston, played by comedian Jonah Ray Rodriguez. Um, and, uh, and, and Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt's on there. I, actually, I'll get more into that in a bit. But, uh, so they ran for two more seasons on Netflix, and then it's, they, it stopped again. And then, over the past, uh, I think over the past year or so, they ran another Kickstarter. And MST3K, it's funny that we're doing this in May, because they ran another Kickstarter, like I said, blew out the goal again, and now they are running their own, the, their own streaming service via an MST3K app. Uh, called the Gizmoplex, where you can stream all the classic episodes, and they are currently, they just started uh, a new season and nice. they're, that they're going to be running for the foreseeable future. So that's the basic history of the show. Very nice. And uh, I just recently, over the weekend, discovered that uh, the Pluto app uh, on TV has an entire channel dedicated to nothing but uh, Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks. Yep. So uh, if you've got Pluto TV, download that, and you can watch a whole channel of this. And another good place to start is YouTube. You can literally go, with, uh, with the first 10 seasons at least, you can literally go plug in any of the titles that you're interested in. 
Um, and you'll be able to watch it on YouTube because Best Brains, the people in charge of it, have never cracked down on that kind of thing. Wow, nice. Um, because that's, that, again, because that's how they got their notoriety, because people tape circulating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, in the end of their credits, they would always say, keep circulating the tape. So mm-hmm. they've always been very kind and generous about people, you know, being able to see their stuff and get into it. Nice. Yeah, I know this is a huge uh, phenomenon. Well, it became a huge phenomenon. You're not the only person I know that's in love with it. Um, we've worked with several people in the past who were as well. Um, it's I, Like I said, I've only ever watched it with you. It's not something I ever really got into mm-hmm. on my own. But, yeah. After all that, let's just go through the very basic premise of the show. Okay. <laughs> Super simple. Actually, they, they did that on purpose because Mystery Science Theater is based... On. And if you guys want to chime in any time, you can. I know I realize I'm monopolizing things, but... Uh, no, no, it's your episode. I understand. Your, your picks. I know, I'm super excited. Like I said, this is the first time I've been able to talk at length about it. So, um, Or on any of these podcasts, like after all the Tarantino and Christopher Nolan that we've uh, subjected you to, <laughs> you, you really get to shine in this one. <laughs> it's Butter's very own episode. Um... Yeah, so the premise is very simple, and they, it, it was that way for a reason, because it's based on all of the like local market, um, basically like the horror kind of shows. Like They would have a host who would basically be in the intro and do minor host segments you know, when throwing it to like the Saturday afternoon movie, like Sven Gulli and stuff like that. Elvira. Yeah, exactly. The same kind of premise, except the idea was they would also be, in, be there during the movie making quips. Uh, so the, the very basic idea is Joel Hodgson playing a character named Joel Robinson uh, is trapped in space by two, originally it was two scientists, Dr. Forster and Dr. Earhart. Uh, they, they, as the, as, I will say this, if you ever want to learn the premise fully, just watch every version of the theme song because the theme song is like a classic sitcom theme song where you get the entire premise start to finish. Uh, and they've updated it for every iteration of the show. Um, but it was originally those two scientists, they, they conked him on the noggin and they shot him into space. And the idea is they're, they're showing him the worst movies they can find. They want to find the movie that will ultimately break him down and then they'll unleash it on the public and take over the world. But Joel uh, got lonely up in space, so he took a bunch of, the, the bunch of the machinery from the satellite, mostly the ones, as it says in the song, that, that control where the movies begin and end, he turned them into, into robot friends to, want to be with so he wouldn't go crazy up in space. Nice. Now, Elon Musk hasn't made any sort of announcements about like purchasing up movie rights or buying a studio or anything like that, has he? I don't and, know, but keep an eye on him. Yeah, because uh, if that happens, I'm just I'm getting rid of all my electronics and living underground. He's the level of insane blowhard that would be the antagonist on Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. He exactly is. He, For all we know, SpaceX could be for the express purpose of kidnapping somebody, <laughs> sending them to space, and forcing them to watch bad movies to see what happens. Like I wouldn't put it for past, science. I wouldn't put it past Mystery Science Theater to have suddenly have like the antagonist benefactor be an Elon Musk type. It mm-hmm. would be perfect. Speaking of which, Stan, I've got this application for you to fill out after we're done recording. <laughs> Who says I haven't already filled it out? You would be the kind who want to go to space to watch bad movies, wouldn't you? Well, I think it's more... He would argue about how bad they really start are. ...start a new race forcibly, you know. Forcibly? <laughs> forcibly? You think you're getting into the breeding program, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. 
We're but, gonna we're gonna <laughs> gloss right over his use of the word forcibly when starting a new forcibly. race. <laughs> like they're putting a gun to his head. Yeah, right. Well, well, I mean, he's forcing people to get together to create a new race. That's okay. That's his way, you know. Anyway, back to my fun uh, <laughs> show program. So I'm still stuck. It, it in went from ball. there for for it was Joel trapped in space, and then when uh, Joel Hodgson decided to bow out and Mike Nelson came in, it was. Uh, Joel, Joel, uh, Joel manages to escape during an episode by the end of it. So what do they do? They turn around, and uh, at this point, it's Dr. Forrester, and uh, his psychic is TV's Frank, which is a, just a genius name. It's just like there's no other explanation. He's just TV's Frank. Like they would refer to, like they would refer to um, old TV stars back in the day as like he's TV's such and such. Right. As where you would know them from. So... <laughs> Uh, so at that point, uh, they, they they had had a, they, they kind of worked it in as like, oh, Mike Nelson's a, uh, basically a temp worker. They're helping them sort stuff out in their in their bunker they call Deep Thirteen, which was where things had moved to at that point. Um, so they, so he's the replacement. So they knock him out, shoot him up into space, and he's up there. And then he's up there through, through the next few seasons. Um, at the end of season six, TV's Frank departs. Frank Conniff leaves the show. Uh, and, and so by the time the movie happens, which, as you saw, it was just Dr. Forrester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, they do, uh, they do uh, season seven, which is a short one. I think it was all that Comedy Central would give them. They only gave them like seven episodes for season seven. And it was going to be, they honestly thought they were going to be done after that. Uh, also, if you ever want to see the, the, the cast's thoughts on making the movie, or how that went, how they felt that went. Um, watch the the host segments from season seven, episode one. Uh, they have a uh, they have a very uh, it comes becomes very clear what they thought of the movie making process in Hollywood. I'm going to go on a limb by context and guess they were not fans. Oh no, it was a miserable experience for them, um, and it, it's it's. It's funny that um, I think what helped them in the long run, and especially kept their attitude about this, is, some, is uh, the fact that when Comedy Central picked up their show, they offered to move them all to L.A. and make the show there, but they were like, no, we want to stay where we are. And I think staying in the Midwest really helped kept, keep, that, keep a good uh, attitude towards that kind of stuff. Yeah, because they, robots in Hollywood do have a bad habit of getting on <laughs> drugs, and I would hate to see that happen to Crow and... The other one whose name I can't remember. Tom Servo. Tom, Tom Servo. And then the other one that looks like a vacuum cleaner, whose name I can't remember. Gypsy. Gypsy, thank you. Can't gypsy say until gypsy. they renamed her. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, can't say Gypsy. <laughs> the robot formerly I, known as Gypsy. I said Gypsy, but I think I got away with it. <laughs> um, yes. Um, and then so season seven, it was Dr. Dr. Forrester and his mother. <laughs> I was going to say, when I watched this movie the other night, during all the... Uh, Mad scientist segments. I was mm-hmm. like, I seem to remember there being more evil scientists. Yeah, yeah, it, it goes. Yeah, because it was just happened to be. By the time they got to the movie, that's just who what, who the, who was there. Like they didn't they didn't want to bother introducing another character. Um, so it was Doctor Forrest and his mother. And here's where things funny. Since they thought the show was ending for real, the, the ending they went with at the end of season seven was. Uh, basically, a 2001 ending where somehow everyone turns to light and becomes non-corporeal beings and fly off, and there's like I said, a big 2001 ending, which is what the beginning of the movie is a big reference to. Oh as yes, well. yeah, 100. Yeah. <laughs> percent 
which I always love the slow reveal that Mike's running on basically a giant hamster wheel. Yeah, the water bottle really sold that. <laughs> and, um, and so when they came back for season eight, they were like, well, how do we undo this? So they all end up back at the, back at the satellite of love and become corporeal again. Uh, only it turns out the satellite is orbiting uh, the Earth hundreds of years in the future, and the planet of the apes future happened. So... <laughs> You blew it all up. So, well, and it was funny about this. Sci-Fi wanted them to have more story arc in the host segments. So it was like, that's not the point. So here's what happens. And this only happens over the course of three seasons, eight, nine, and ten. Uh, so it goes from Planet of the Apes, where it's like, oh, they're, they're, they still, they're still doing the experiment for some reason. Well, it turns out the reason is Pearl Forrester was frozen sometime in the past, and they defrosted her. Now she's the lawgiver who runs the ape society. Uh, Mike Nelson formulates a plan to escape from the satellite, get the satellite level away from Earth. He actually blows up the Earth in the process. It had it coming, <laughs> let's be honest. And which, which, but they're not, they're not as free as they thought because now they're being chased by Pearl and, and Bobo, one of the head scientists, Professor Bobo, uh, in a, in a rocket-powered VW bus. And see, that's what I remember <laughs> from watching with you is because I was like, wasn't there like a Planet of the Apes monkey mm-hmm. involved in this somehow? I thought maybe I just hallucinated eight. Nope. That. And then they pick up a, a third straggler because they end up on a planet of, uh, they're supposed to be non-corporeal. They're called the Observers, and they have all their brains in pans, but then they have these uh, bodies that hold the brains for them. So essentially, they don't have bodies, but they do have bodies. And then Mike, in order to escape the planet of the Observers, accidentally blows them up. And, and one of the observers tags along, and that becomes the three antagonist characters for the rest of the series. So what you're saying is Mike Nelson is responsible for not one, but two genocides. He's put on trial later for it in an episode, and yes, he does earn the tagline, Mike Nelson, Destroyer of Worlds. Fantastic. He blows their planet up with a makeshift uh, homemade uh, uh, baking soda volcano that he overcharges somehow. <laughs> it's every high school science teacher's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go in through a wormhole, end up in Roman times, and then uh, somehow travel through time once more, and then the rest of the series pans out uh, with them at the ancestral Forester Castle home, where, where the story ends until the very last episode where Pearl, playing with a joystick that uh, controls the, the satellite's uh, movements, barrel rolls them and accidentally uh, hits the button that causes re-entry protocol, which is non-reversible, and so the satellite ends up landing and they get back to Earth. That is a fucking journey. Yeah. For a show about people watching terrible movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's great because in between all that, they, they still have the movies. And then later, when, when the new seasons pick up, it's because uh, King of Forrester, and I don't, I'm not sure how she's directly related. I think she's somehow Forrester's kid. Uh, has an operation on the moon where she suckers in Jonah's character, uh, working with TV's son of TV's Frank, which is Max, uh, played by Patton Oswalt. Um, captures him and makes him live in the satellite and watch movies. Uh, and then now, with the new season just starting up, they also have for the first time a female host. Uh, her name is Emily, I think, uh, and she's all and, she, and they're splitting the hosting duties between them, uh, between them, between Jonah and her. Interesting. Because she was one of, she was, uh, when they did the, the road shows, she was one of the hosts there, and they made sure they, to give her uh, a spot on the new seasons. Okay. And that's the very simple premise of Mystery Science Theater. 
All right. Well, thank you for that. I knew bits and pieces just by, well, from you and from cultural osmosis. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned a lot of stuff, uh, stuff I haven't seen before, too. Yeah. All right. So what have we got next? So I wanted to, so now having said all of that, I wanted to get your thoughts on riffing in general, the idea of what they do while they, you know, joke about movies. I mean, I feel like it is something that most people lapse into depending on the quality of a movie. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I have sat down to have a serious discussion, or not, not to have a serious discussion, but to watch a movie with every intent of taking it seriously only to end up, whoever I'm watching it with, just rip it to shreds. And not even, I, I, not even like it's not even necessarily a movie you hate either. Right, it can just be one that you've seen enough times. Yeah. Staniel? Um, I... I, I probably the same thing it's like it's kind of a natural reaction if you're just if you're if it turns out to be a lot of questions in the movie you know that are left un unanswered you know it's like hmm it's time to start talking about this and how does because the mo- they're they, certainly not how does the not. money plane work exactly <laughs> that's 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 the Best example ever. <laughs> yeah, now see, I, at one if point... If we talk about money playing again, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and now see, I actually did kind of want to do like maybe a live thing or a pre-recorded thing where all of the hosts on this show would have actually sat down to watch Money Playing together, but there was kind of a pandemic happening yeah. when we recorded that episode, so... We had to split everyone up into smaller groups. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be fun to get the three of us, Dogs, Shelby, Gina, oh, absolutely. Katie, get all of us together to just pick a god-awful movie, anything but Birdemic. That's what we do on any given uh, wrestling pay-per-view. I mean, yeah, we could turn any, one, any episode of uh, This Is a Work into a mystery science theater. It'd be a very long uh, frustrating episode filled with a lot of swearing, <laughs> but we could do it. I, but you, uh, Dave, you really hit on what I love about riffing, and I think what got me about it is the fact that it's the refined, like, best version of just sitting on a couch with friends and just like just tossing out one-liners. Because it's like in in the beginning, in the very beginning, it was improv uh, on the show. And I think they very quickly decided, well, no, we're going to do better if we sit down. We watch, and they watch the movie over and over, and they time code it, and they're like, they refine their jokes. And now, and nowadays, it's like it's a very like we've got the riff for this moment and this moment. And I, I and I think it's it, it's very well done. And a very long time ago, it feels like um, you brought over to my old apartment a copy of The Room. <laughs> And we sat down with a whole bunch of people yes. to take in this cinematic masterpiece of Tommy Wiseau's The yeah, Room. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau's. And then about halfway through it, like, everyone had, I feel like, rifted themselves out to the point where no one was actually even watching the movie anymore. It was uh, such an extraordinary level of bad that even riffing it, we couldn't. With that, with that many people involved, we we couldn't even yeah oh keep yeah enjoying the how there bad was the movie so was. much flying at you with that movie that it, yeah if without taking breaks you just it's it, it's almost it's almost impenetrable unless you're dedicated to to going at it yeah but yeah I mean in general if it's a movie I've seen enough times or if it's a movie that's exceptionally bad I'm a big fan of riffing on movies yeah I, I like that and it's like I. And it, go, and it flows well into the next topic, which uh, I'll, I'll get to in a second. But it's like, I like the fact that it's like, 
even if it's a good movie, it's not unassailable. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, Riff Tracks, as an experiment, to, or just to make a point, they did a Riff Tracks, uh, which, which I should say is, um, they, they, do, they do like video on demand versions, but they also have what's called Just the Jokes, where they have a commentary track that you line up with the movie, uh, with, with the movie time code, and you just let it go, and it, it times out to where their comments are mm-hmm. at the right moments. And they did one for Casablanca. And just as the point of like, we know this is a great movie, we love it, and but we we can also crack jokes about it. Yeah, it's not it's like it's not just the horrible movies. It's something fun to do, and you it, you don't have to tear down the movie to have fun with it. But that does lead into my next topic. It's like what it and I, and I and I I called it the unriffable, and I was like, aside from extreme subjects, like you wouldn't do a riff of like Schindler's List, clearly, clearly. <laughs> Stop looking at me like that. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do... Well, th- now I want to try. <laughs> no, that is not a challenge. But it's like a Bonus s- episode. Aside, that's why I worded, aside from obvious extreme subjects, where would you draw the line on what's able to riff? Like, what would you be like, I don't want to just crack wise during this. I do want to just sit down and enjoy it. Uh, Passion of the Christ. I wouldn't be beyond that, honestly. I, everyone knows that I wouldn't be either. Um, when Stan and I were reading the topics the other day, of course, the very first one that I went to was like, I'd love to see you try to riff a Serbian film. No, that was the thought of like, don't. That, that's no, what I'm saying. It's like. Um, and I said, that's why I said aside from obvious extreme subjects. And, and you can't really. My thing is that you shouldn't take like something like uh, Spike Lee stuff. Um, uh, especially us. I was going to say, um, we, the three but, white men but, in this but, but room. But the thing right. is, is that I don't think um, films with really powerful messages of positivity and or growth and progress should be um, leveled with a... Yet critical thought, yes, but, but the idea that we're riffing to find the funny parts and to make funny statements about this movie that's, you know, it's like, um, she's got to have it, you shouldn't be done, do the right thing should not be done, because it diminishes the strength of, especially if we're going to make it a public thing, um, do not riff on something that has a very positive, progressive message that the riffing will diminish. Um, and that the riffing will take over the message. I, I, I don't believe something like that should be done. And that's why I'm saying, it, yeah, we could pick on Passion of the Christ, but, I mean... Don't challenge me, motherfucker. But, but, so, thi- but the thing is, is that it, it shouldn't be done. I mean, I'm not saying that it probably can't be done, but it's like... It, it, it diminishes you as well as you would diminish the overall that, arcing message of the movie. That's a fucking bold statement. It does. So I, what I'm because I wouldn't I I you know and, and it's like I wouldn't say we shouldn't riff um, Last Temptation of Christ, which you know has been protested and maybe the message should be protested. Uh, but the thing is, the message that actually comes out of that movie is such that is about love and pro, uh, progress and. And beauty and that, Harvey Keitel, that, that New York accent, but biblical time. But still, that would be one thing that we would riff on. But it shouldn't be because what, even though he's using the dialect, the message is still powerful enough to be 
and it, once you start riffing on that, it diminishes the power of the message. So you're so telling it's like, me. So it's like, yes. Um, dude, it's like, if you, if you take something like a trauma film or something, which I love and I respect and I'm a fan of, but trauma films can be riffed upon. But it's like, I, I, I would not take something that's about the progress of humanity and riff upon that. And that's just me. You're telling me that I couldn't take Sam Raimi's Green Goblin's lines from the first Spider-Man film no, no, and that's dub them over Spider- that's and Spider-Man. dub them over Willem Dafoe <laughs> in The Last Temptation of Christ, and it wouldn't be hilarious for Jesus of Nazareth I, I, I to say. I would be pissed off. Who would he call Spider-Man? For Jesus I of Nazareth to say, off. you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. So what I'm hearing is they shouldn't have ripped Birdemic because that is very much a strong uh, environmental message. Well, it tried to be. Mm. <laughs> strong is a well, it was strong. You strong should, word. You should, you should be strong in the beavers. Zombievers shouldn't be riffed. No, because Zombievers <laughs> is a cinematic masterpiece. It is. It That's, is. I'm adding that to my list of perfect it tens is. when it's my Stan's turn. Stan's trying to troll me and it's not going to no, work. No, He's trying truth. to riff with you. No. But, but no, that's my thing is that um, if, if, if I was involved in a part where, somebody, where a group of folks were riffing upon something like Last Temptation or even Passion of the Christ, I would have to leave the room because um, there's a message there that is supposed to be released and the riffing will only diminish it so and uh i think those messages should and it's like do the right thing it's like yeah you might you might comment about the violence or the the use of certain words and language you know what whatever but but that's again critical thought and critical responses but the idea that you're going to start making fun of moments in that and and diminish the power of the message fuck that you know but that again that's me now you're aware of course that at one point in our lives we all started a web series about a web series called the diary of stan frank right in which we were riffing on ourselves in which you played the title character of stan frank yes Okay, I'm just as but long we as we're did aware. Not, we did not diminish the power of the diary of Anne Frank. We, we diminished ourselves, and we made fun of ourselves, making the, because the, the, the difference between that, between that show and specifically riffing on movies with messages is that it was us that was actually being riffed upon. You know, we, we were hyper-real hyper versions of ourselves and hyper-dumb versions of ourselves. And uh, that's what we were riffing on. The idea that, that creative pe- people like us would attempt to do this and the stupidity, the absurdity of the attempt is what we were riffing on. And it's like, and we, and we were very blatant about how, and you know, Chris was the, was the voice of that, was how blatantly awful our stuff was you know and 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 it and it was a riff upon ourselves as creative people as uh as filmmakers whatever and 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 we and we as the series went on we responded to that and 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 we grew as a group how rare it is for Chris to be the voice of reason among the three of us. But we'll move on uh, to the next topic in a second. But what I'm hearing is that you are not going to join me and Chris for our annual nope. rewatch of American History X. 
that is definitely <laughs> not riffable. Um, I don't I'll, know. I'll disagree because no, usually it's not riffable the, the, because I'll take a shot the at li- it. The you guys can. I will the lines are different for everybody, but usually the, the 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 best spirit of riffing is it stays in logic with the movie, and it's usually making fun of the characters for the decisions they're making when they're bad ones or bad people. I mean, it's 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 never just trash the movie, tear down everything. But that's the movie. Well, no, <laughs> it's, it's, not. it's the is the bad decisions that people make, and then the fi- finding a way to uh, positively respond from those, and then yeah. be- because those mis- those um, early actions were so intense that you that you lose people that you you know. So it's like that's I I, I yes I would I would miss that. I, opportunity so again it's so it's, you guys are welcome to go and f- go for it but uh, oh I would it's not nice of you to cast us as the callous <laughs> bastards that no you think we are, i wouldn't apparently. i wouldn't that's here, not what here, i'm doing it's like i couldn't do it, that it's about because it, i would find every moment it's about lines it's like i said i wouldn't i would never approve a riff of schindler's list but probably if done well life is beautiful <laughs> well life is beautiful kind of does it on itself but again no. i probably <laughs> no I, they gave man, man an oscar I, I i would i would not um i think roberto benigni should be riffed upon sure and he would be thoroughly. but but the idea that i i would not participate in riffing of that movie either because of the you know it being about you know the decimation of and the genocide of a people and I also would have to decline the opportunity to riff on Life is Beautiful, mainly because Katie yeah. loves that movie, and I wouldn't have a home to go back to. I, I'm just no, I'm, I'm not saying we we are. Why does everyone think I'm penciling this into a calendar somewhere? Because I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's yeah, just, I'm saying I'm, I'm saying there. there's the line. It's like no on one is like, but you can. There's wiggle room. It's like I I think I, I get it. This is the most heated I've seen you on any I of these podcasts, Dan. I think there are, like I said, I brought up Troma. I'm a fan. I love the movies. But Toxic Avenger, fuck, yes, riff upon it. Um, uh, T- Terra Firmer, yes. It's got Ron Jeremy in it, but it's fucking hilarious, and it is an environmental comment. You know, it's like, yes, a riff upon it. The Chicken movie, yes, riff upon it. Um the chicken movie. The, uh, Don't Troma's, ask him to explain. Troma's War. Yes. Riff upon it. Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Stop. Riff, but now it, we're but just naming Roman titles. But, but the idea that, yes, they, they welcome the riff, but they also, they do have messages that they are putting out there of progress, but the idea that they know, they know what they are. And it's like they, they know that, yes, we are riffable. So it's like, yes, we can riff upon those. And, and, but... But it's really hard. It's like I, I would even consider riffing E.T., which yes. I think is one of the greatest movies of all, of all time. But because e. there's never off the table when he screams and Gertie screams at the same time, that's a hilariously riffable moment. But the thing is, it's not overreaching and it, it's not overarching in its message that if we riffed upon a moment in E.T. that we're maybe don't kill aliens when they visit us. Exactly. Don't kill aliens. But <laughs> we are not diminishing. We're not diminishing. Because we could also riff upon the change between taking the guns away and replacing them with keys. Yes. That's riffable. Or flashlights. Or flashlights. That's right. riffable. You know, it's like... You, um, you are describing the way this, this could work, yes. Yeah, and, but it's still 
we're, we're not diminishing the message. But if we, if we riff on something like do the right thing or something like that, that is diminishing uh, a message that should not be diminished. Oh, man. You know a movie I think we should talk about? The one we watched. So do eh. you guys like it? Again, eh? Okay, so full disclosure. Sure. Uh, this Island Earth is yeah. such an egregiously boring film. <laughs> I fell asleep well, during the non-host segment portion. That's honestly kind of funny because one of the controversies of this movie getting made was people getting mad that they would they would uh, take on such a classic. Right, it was the movie that was supposedly unriffable. Uh, yeah, I I could not help it. I had had. That's a, fine. It's a very dry movie, despite being about aliens. I drank a Red Bull immediately prior. <laughs> this is I'm not exaggerating. I know. Immediately prior to watching this movie still was put to sleep by this island earth. Stan? Um, if they were going to make a feature, I, I think I think Mystery Science Theory 1000 is perfect for whatever half hour, hour long... Hour and a half. Hour and a half television episodes that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fine. Um, but I still think they should, uh, if they are writing their riffs... They are. Uh, they should have wrote better ones for a feature movie. Um, I thought the riffing was, was if, they, if they're professional riffers, so I think they, it was almost amateurish. They did not have 100% control over it. Um, then, Again, this was, they, yeah, on their show, they, they, they have final say, but uh, they were they were dealing with a studio this time around. Then again, That's why they yes. put out a feature that was 74 minutes. Um, and, and that was a, the longest 74 minutes ever. That's a shame. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the thing is, I'm a fan of this island earth, or I thought I was. Um, and, and Until when, you watched when, the... When I watched it, because I, I grew up with this island earth, and uh, um, I, don't, I didn't remember it being so awful, and, but of course I was, you know, what, 12 when I saw it the first time and before I had any kind of idea of, you know, but the idea that of when it was made and everything like that, it is a classic movie. It's up there with the, um, it's not quite Thing from Outer Space, but the idea that the quality of filmmaking was in the same area. Um, uh, it's right after Godzilla, so the idea of uh, people in rubber suits wasn't a bad idea, you know? And it's like, um, and, and again, the subject matter is probably pretty profound. And, and it's like, so I remember it being better this, this movie was. had subject matter? <laughs> it, and I don't mean it, Mystery Science Theater. It, 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 I mean, it, this, this island, island Earth had um, subject so, matter? Uh, I, but I did notice, oh, wow, okay, maybe, yeah, this, it, it, I mean, yeah, of course, it, it's not unriffable. It's totally riffable. It's the standard um, Cold War, if you're not careful, yeah, nuclear it, energy exactly. will destroy us all. Exactly. And, and um, because there were moments, you know, it's like when they're, when they're exploring the whole, you know, that they're gathering in an international team and the whole... <clears throat> so that's you know, squirrel pudding. So <laughs> the idea that um, it, it's okay that nobody understands each other's language. They have the language of physics and they have the language of science and stuff, and they still can work together to come to a common goal. I, common I will say goal. it, it um, was really interesting when Vin Diesel showed up and started calling everyone family. That might have been my favorite part of the movie. Vin Diesel's in it? Was I, was I asleep during that part? <laughs> Are you Maybe asleep I right now? I, but um, um, I and and 
maybe I if if you're gonna riff that movie, um, they did. Uh, it should have been better riffs. Um, uh, I and and if you're you're, t- you're, you're suggesting were that to the wrong person, they were shortchanged. Mm. Um, in in what they could have done if if they were taken out of the uh, writing process, inserting the breakfast pastry. What have I wrought by? Um, well, what have I wrought? Apparently, I have brought doom. I upon did us like all. the what? What was the name of the uh, the oscillate the insul, the the machine the interocitor the interocitor that it kept coming back and said, "Oh, I have an interocitor. <laughs> I have an interocitor." When Tom Servo says, "I have one," here it is, and then you know it blasts everybody apart. Um, and. I, I wasn't sure about them taking commercial breaks at the time. So it's like I, they should have just continued and, and, and I understood that, you know, oh, the, the, the film broke. So it was go out and do something that's related to them as uh, prisoners on the, on, on the bone-shaped satellite. And uh, Yes, as I wrote in my notes, I watched the show countless times with you, Chris, mm-hmm. and never once noticed that the satellite of love is a dog bone. That's on you, isn't it? It and is. I'm I, not saying. I it's thought not. it was a, a, a two double eight. <laughs> put together. I don't know. But um, boy, I got a good feeling about sharing my interests for the next three months. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, but but no, it's like but but um, it, it uh, but yeah. Um, I just wish they had a better opportunity to um, bring those to the feature level that they had. Chris, the last four months, January through April, was let's judge Stan and his choices. Mm -hmm. So the next four months are let's judge Chris and his choices. So am I just... I know some of Chris's choices. They're fine. What the fuck? Oh, they're fine. Okay. They're fine. Um, No, yeah, no, I'm getting a big vibe of support from the both of you. What? (laughs) So can I just... just, The amount of... of, So I just skip the next part and do... (laughs) So I just skip the next part, the favorite moments or anything? Because it sounds like you slept through it and Stan was stewing through most of it. No, I did have two favorite parts. <clears throat> Ironically, neither of them were riffs, however. Oh, that's One fine. One the, of my uh, favorite parts is, is, is a host segment. Yeah, it's the uh, evil scientist introducing me to the phrase cinematic suppository. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that whole opening monologue is one of my favorites. I almost wanted to open the the podcast with a version of that. You should have. You still can. I can go back and re-record it. Um, Right. My other one was the guy who played... But before we do, did you guys, you know, go? Oh. (laughs) Yes. Because I don't want to have to stop the podcast for, you know... Well, I haven't. I need to go. Yeah, we've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> um, my my other favorite thing about the movie was the fact that at some point I realized the actor playing Cal was putting on like a master class of peak. I'm in a 1950s science fiction movie acting. I'm a man non-acting? Yeah, basically. Like, you could just CGI that character into any sci-fi film from the 50s, and he wouldn't be out of place. I thought you could replace him with a bar of soap. You could do that, too, and it would be the same level of performance. I did find it interesting, and this has to do with this island Earth, but um, I did find it interesting that... uh, his respect for the female scientist was pretty high, you know, it's like, um, uh, I'm really sh- thought you were going to say hot. No, but the idea when they first met, when she came to pick him up and, you know, it's like, Oh, 
who's picking me up? She's pretty cute. But, but then he finds out she's like one of the great scientists. Oh, and then he finds out her name and it's like, oh yeah. It's like, I know who you are. You're the, one of the greatest scientists. In the-. And for the rest of the movie, he's in total respect of her and awe of her. And, and there was never really any moment where she was in awe of him necessarily. Um, what was there to be in awe the, of? The, but the, that's what I'm saying is with your, um, that he was in complete man acting. They did, they did rise above a little bit in the idea that, because um, in a lot of those early 50s films about uh, science maybe being bad, uh, <laughs> women were not respected. And, and her, uh, her, position, her position in that group of scientists was pretty high. So I'm, I'm kind of, I was kind of on board with that. I found that interesting. Everything that you just said was completely undone by one line early in the movie where Cal is talking to his assistant and I don't, they're talking about like a robot or something. Again, I was falling asleep, mm-hmm. but he's talking about a, a housewife and is like, well, she'll gain 20 pounds because the robot will be doing all the work for her. Cal, you yes, but that's I what watched this with, with Katie <laughs> and as soon as that line left that character's mouth, I like side-eyed her like, oh God, what's about to happen? And she just turned and looked at me like I will reach back in time but, but that, 70 years. That's what I'm saying is that with the, the female scientist she and I, I and I'm sorry Chris I don't know who you know my wife is. could use one of these around uh, the house a man but but she brought she elevated Ruth that, Adams at Ruth the Adams, character's name Ruth Adams character uh, brought elevated that Dr. Ruth I, <laughs> now, okay now we're on okay maybe i'm interested now uh, but um, that's all the time we have but uh but uh she elevates it um and you know yes yeah, she has the damsel in distress when she's being changed by the mutant who i loved um slacks and all slacks and all and uh uh i i did it's like they got shortchanged because they should have been able to move faster and, and actually have a chance to, you know, do the damage they were sh- should have done. Little um, known fact, listeners, Stan actually named his firstborn child Mustant. M- Mustant, yes. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. I, I had a child. Um, uh, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> so my favorite parts of the movie, aside from all of it, uh, well, my first one is... Uh, I enjoy the, the I enjoy the opening with Crow deciding he's going to tunnel back to Earth. Love it from a satellite in space, uh, because it it has the line when they he breaches the hull and everything's flying around. Uh, oh look at that breach hole all die even had it underlined. <laughs> yes, and the line like Crow has some really great lines in the movie. The other one in that scene is. Well, I calculated the odds that I was that this would work versus the odds that I was doing something incredibly stupid, and uh, I went ahead anyway. I went ahead anyway. Yes, that was that was my favorite. Moment. And then the entire scene uh, where Mike flies the satellite into the Hubble. <laughs> into the Hubble. That was I was yes. That's... And the manipulator arms. I know you guys wouldn't know this is a reference to the most infamous episode of MST3K, which is the one they did Manos, the Hands of Fate. I did uh, yeah. notice that because there's a big plaque above the sign uh, or above the controls that just says Manos. And when he hits the button, it plays the ma- the theme from Manos briefly in the late motif, and the the manipulator arms he uses them to separate. The satellite, fr- the satellite from the satellite, the, the tel- telescope, he's, and as he releases it and lets it go, it just drops and plummets to Earth, which shouldn't, it's like, well, how could that happen? It could. <laughs> I did appreciate that because that was my exact question right before Mike said it. <laughs> Gah, 
And then it just ends with them leaving as the bots chant, Mike broke the hubble, Mike broke the hubble. And they riff their own credits. Yes, they do. Um, I wish I could remember a single name of one of the... Who who was the most famous one that they gave the business to? Oh, my favorite one was the winner and still photographer, Mickey Keenitz. Yes, I... I, (laughs) Um, it's sad that I forgot that because I was like, now there's a joke that I want to you, well, I want to steal, honestly. Oh, Bill Schwab. He's the guy who keeps attributing his faults to other people. Oh, yeah, the projectionist. Yes, that was also brilliant. <laughs> uh, then there was the, uh, I forget what title he had, but there was the Amazing Rando. Rando, yes, thank you. Because <laughs> that became a running bit. <laughs> yes, Rando. Uh, yeah, fun stuff. They said ILM. Oh, yeah, those are the people who, who sit in basements all day figuring out how to make elves disappear. I liked it. I know. And I'm. Uh, See, now I'm going to say, argue this is slightly more unfair because there's one of me this time and two of you. I know. I know. It's usually it'll, you versus it'll, me and Stan. It'll, it'll, get, it'll be different for the next few episodes because at least after Wreck It Ralph, um, I know you guys love the next two after that. So. It'll be an easier conversation. I love Wreck-It Ralph. I know you do. <laughs> I, I've watched Wreck-It Ralph. I didn't dislike uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to come into that episode ready to shit this on is, it. This is past episodes coming back to haunt me. Although now, I mean, if we want to keep the same level of intensity. I really don't. <laughs> no, I'm going to come into uh, Wreck-It Ralph just off the rails. Please don't. Wreck-It Ralph is riffable. I don't know, though, no. Stan. Is it? <laughs> it is. No, I no. think Wreck-It Ralph is too pure to be riffed on. And the message <laughs> of Wreck-It Ralph oh, is so timeless. It's an animated film. It, oh, I'm sorry. Are, are you saying that animated films can't be riffed? Is that what you're trying to say? As though animated films are somehow lesser than live action films? It depends on what the What kind animation. of implication are you making? Uh, you know exactly what... What I'm talking about. We so should riff like, Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> well, go ahead. I don't know what it is. So Anyone who knows what that movie is gets it. <laughs> you know, it's like, but. Which is an important thing to think you about. You can riff whatever. Because be early on in the show, when asked if Mr. Science Theater would be a hit, Joel Hodgson said, don't worry, the right people will get it. And that's what's helped it endure to this day. As Stan and I are the wrong people. Clearly. But, but, the thing, but the thing is, is that, you know, this all started, or, I mean, I'm sure it's been riffed upon before. This, this all started but, because but Rocky Dave Horror said, Picture hey, show, guys, we're going to. Rocky Horror Picture Show. The, 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 no, I, you classic. know what? I'm going to, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there. I think that's a horrible way of riffing a movie. Do you know why? Because it's just people shouting en masse at a screen. Some of, the, some of the lines that they've picked, yes, yeah, some, of the, some of the lines have stuck, but it's just people constantly fucking shouting at a movie screen. Hey, and throwing stuff at the movie screen. It's, it's, it's the same problem with the room screenings, too, because they do that during that as well. I, but, yeah, it's but, a hard stance, and I take it. But, but it's, it's, it's the same. This has been the episode of hard stances, let's be honest. Which is stances. not what you'd expect, would you? <laughs> From this group, no. <laughs> what what a uh, what a weird episode this turned into be. Thank you, Chris. I didn't expect this to be so controversial. I will fight you all in the parking lot. 
All right. Well, that's the last of Chris's episodes. I'm, 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 I'm still, I'm still showing up, so we'll see what happens. Like, we packed four episodes of drama into 51 minutes. So we can just have fun with the rest of them, right? Yeah. I don't know. Unless Stan just thinks they're unriffable for some reason. In which case... No, you said you can't riff on Rocket Ralph. Totally riffable, and I love it. Oh, buddy. Okay. It's, it's not. I mean, honestly, it's, it is sort of unriffable because of it's, it's, comedies are harder unless they are terrible comedies, honestly. Well, uh, it, I, okay, I, I understand what you're saying there, yeah. But, but <laughs> it's not undoable, but it would be difficult. You're you're I, trying so just, hard to I, formulate I, a rebuttal. I, I, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not despite, sure. Despite the fact that I have an emotional connection to that movie, it wouldn't be out of pocket to, to I mean, at least mock certain, you know, to go after it a little bit. There's no See, problem. I wouldn't riff upon it because it's like I'm, I'm, I'd be sitting there loving the film. So it's like, why would I want to make, you know, take away from the moments not, I'm having with the film by the riffing thing. upon it? When riffing's done right, it doesn't take away from a movie. Honestly, riffing help me understand film criticism a little more because when a good riff will make you think yeah this is not working or that is a weird thing to have happen at this moment I, I, that's what i missed in this in mystery science 3000 the movie because the riffs didn't do anything to enhance the thought process of what they were watching for you because yes for me and i and i and i would then it's like that's fine because i I would encourage you to go looking for other episodes that seem interesting to you right that's fine that's perfectly fine there the the funny thing about mst3k is that your i forget who coined it it was it was a website that i went to frequently but someone it was a coin it was a phrase i saw is like your least favorite episode of mystery science theater is someone's favorite episode and vice versa and because there are so many episodes they've done, and they've done everything from sci-fi to western to uh, Birdemic. <laughs> that's riff tracks, not quite the same. But they've all, but, uh, Mitchell. Still, Mitchell is a crime drama. I'm still never uh, going to forgive me. I'm never going to forgive you for Birdemic. I will be on my deathbed, <laughs> and I'm just going to grab you by the I, collar. I didn't make it, and just start shaking you for introducing well, me to just, that. Well, that's just that's just a tribute to how bad that movie is. With jokes, couldn't save it. <laughs> they could not. Wow, the tension in Long Walk Studios, <laughs> aka Kayfabe Outpost One, is palpable. What an episode this has been! Thank you, Chris. I'm looking forward to seeing. I think it's the seeing... podcast studio of love right now. Well, we'll we'll think on that and get back to you. Um, all right. <laughs> I'm I'm still like flabbergasted by the direction that this uh, this episode took. So Stan, if people want to reach out to you online, where can they do that at? The Hubble. Okay. They... But Mike broke the Hubble. Yes, reach out to Stan yes. via Hubble telescope. Chris. <laughs> if, if you people... aim it right, you can probably burn a hole in his shirt or something. Exactly. Uh, Chris, if people want to reach out to you online, follow you I don't online. know if I do. This got very heated. <laughs> Where's the heat? <laughs> in this area. Where? On your side of the room. Why? <laughs> what? Chicken butt. Okay. Uh, my Twitter handle is Chris the OK. I think that's. <laughs> Kien. 
All right. And if you want to follow me online, the Get best. It. Yes. Uh, da. The, the best place. See, the best place to do that is on Danke. Instagram at DB Hensley. Uh, if you want to keep up with the Long Walk Productions, you can visit us online at longwalk.us or search for Long Walk Productions and Long Walk Podcast on Facebook. To see more of our original work or hear past episodes that are no longer streaming, you can follow the YouTube links in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoy this show or any of the shows on the Long Walk Podcast Network, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And explain why. Konnichiwa. Peace out.